to episode six of From the Front Porch. I'm Annie Jones, and today I am joined by none other than my husband, Jordan Jones, who is an attorney in Tallahassee, Florida. Um, Jordan seemed the perfect guest today because we will be talking about One Book Thomas County, our town's one book reading project in which our whole community is reading Picking Cotton, a memoir of injustice and redemption that revolves a lot around the legal community. Later in the episode, Katie and I will get together to talk about our recommended reads for other community one-book projects. All right, let's get started. Jordan, we have our own podcast today. I know, it's so fun. Sometimes I think that if we uh, just had a tape recorder on at all times, it would make a very interesting podcast. I think it would be funny, but... It might be funny, only to us. True. <laughs> um, so today I am with my husband, Jordan Jones, to record our episode. Um, the reason for that is pretty simple. Uh, we are celebrating a one book festival here in our town in a couple of weeks, and the book is called Picking Cotton. Uh, it's a memoir of injustice and redemption written by Jennifer Thompson Canino and Ronald Cotton. <clears throat> The premise is pretty simple. Jennifer was a college student in North Carolina when she was sexually assaulted, and she chose Ronald Cotton out of a lineup. Um, Eleven years later, after Ronald had been in prison for that period of time, DNA exonerated Ronald, um, and he was found innocent. So he spent 11 years in prison for a crime he did not commit. So the book talks about Jennifer's story, Ronald's story, but then it also really focuses on their forgiveness of one another and their ultimate friendship with one another. Um, But the book really begins with some legal problems, and so I felt like it would be fun to have Jordan on today. Um, Jordan, tell us what you do. So uh, I am an elections attorney um, in Florida, of all places, um, (laughs) where elections have sometimes not had the best outcomes. But uh, I'm uh, an elections attorney, basically... Um, I interpret the provisions of the election code, and I um, hopefully make the administration of elections uh, a little bit better. I've also worked for the Florida Supreme Court, and uh, so I know a little bit about the judicial system um, and, uh, and, the, and our election system. So even though Jordan's expertise is not necessarily with criminal law, um, he and I will be participating next week in our town's opening One Book event. So One Book is launching on October 2nd. By the time you hear this, it might be this week. Um, on October 2nd with a mock trial and jury selection demonstration. So Jordan and I had the pleasure of participating in this event. A couple of weeks ago, we um, took part in a trial pun intended, run of, of this thing. And so we sat in, acted as jury members, and kind of sat at the feet of a professor from Valdosta State University, Greg Rabideau. So um, Greg is a professor at VSU. He also does some lobbying work in D.C. And turns out he's a very gifted teacher. So he is running this mock trial event for us. Um, Picking Cotton is mostly about Jennifer and Ronald's stories of forgiveness and overcoming um, this really huge burden um, that they both carried. But it does begin with a legal case. 
And so it felt like a fun way to start our one book program. Um, and Jordan and I were thrilled to participate. We're kind of nerds and we love this sort of thing. Anytime I get to go uh, to a courthouse or take a picture of a courthouse, I'm absolutely thrilled. So Right. So this was right up our alley. So Jordan, before we kind of get started, tell me, I know you haven't finished the book, um, which if anybody is listening to this, Jordan and I met in a great books program, great books program. So I thought when I met Jordan that he was an avid reader, but... I sold her a false bill of goods. So, so um, I thought that Jordan was an avid reader. After law school, he became a very rare reader um but he is going to be reading picking cotton and uh, the reason i even have a copy of picking cotton actually is because of jordan yeah i remember i don't remember exactly what had happened but um somehow i think i had offended you and i don't know what it was and um i thought well i'll get her a prize and what better prize than a book um so i went and i found this book and um I remember I picked it out and gave it to you, and um, you eventually read it and thought it was amazing. Yeah, and I actually took a really long time to read this book, not because I didn't want it. I actually remember really wanting this book when it came out a few years ago. Um, but as big readers are wont to do, my eyes were bigger than my stomach, and my... Is there is the right a phrase? stack of books uh, next to Annie's uh, nightstand. nightstand right now, and it's almost as tall as she is. So Right. So so I have a book problem. So sometimes books get stuck at the bottom of the pile. Um, my brother has gifted me many books that I think he insists I have never read. I try to read them all, but it does take me some time. So Picking Cotton sat on my shelf for a little while, and this summer our one book committee started to get together. This is a project Thomasville um, has done once before, so we're trying to make it an annual event. So I went to these committee meetings and we were trying to pick a book for 2014, and I thought Picking Cotton would be a, an awesome community-wide read, um, especially for our region of the country. So um, went home after a committee meeting, picked it up, picked it off my shelf, and I believe I read it in one night, um, and took it back to the committee and said, we've got to read this book. So, um, I love this book. We have already sold almost 100 copies out of the bookshelf. Um, why do you think, Jordan, that this book might resonate with our community? I think it's an excellent choice. Um, there, there you have are, to say that because you're my husband. I, I do. I do. Uh, well, being your husband, I would have to say it's a good choice. But as unbiased as I am, I'm going to say it was an excellent choice um, because there are a lot of different themes that converge. It's got a little something for everyone, I think. You've got oh, the judicial true. aspect of it. It's sort of like, um, I'm not going to say it's sort of like To Kill a Mockingbird, but but if you think about To Kill a Mockingbird and other classics, you have a lot of different things going on in those books. You have um, a little something for everyone. For the lawyers, and for the lawyers in all of us, the people who seek justice, you have a uh, court case. Um, for, for those of us who are kind of bleeding heart idealists, you have, you know, the, the issue of, of race and the downtrodden and uh, society kind of um, stomping on people and, and who's going to rise up and be the hero. Um, and for those of us who are, 
you know, in the case of To Kill a Mockingbird, to, to, for those of us who are perpetual children, you've got that, that aspect. So I think similarly, Picking Cotton has a lot of different themes, and there's a little something for everyone. And that is what I've heard a lot of people comment. So this is a memoir, and I know not everybody, um, not everyone is a huge nonfiction reader. I, I happen to love nonfiction. But my mom, for example, is a fiction reader. And she kind of was hesitant, oh, wasn't sure she wanted to pick up, um, pick up, <laughs> picking <laughs> cotton. Uh, but I kind of made her buy a copy. So she bought a copy at the bookshelf the other day. And I called her a couple of days ago and she didn't sound too good. And I said, you know, are you okay? <laughs> What's the matter? And she said, well, I stayed up until one reading Picking Cotton. And then I woke up this morning at five to finish Picking Cotton. Open this book at your own risk. <laughs> and so she really enjoyed it. But um, I think you're right. I think this book has a little something for everybody. You know, so many people love these John Grisham legal thrillers. This is a legal thriller. It's disconcerting um, because there are some legal issues in this book that are going to kind of make your stomach turn a little bit. And it's true. And it's true. This isn't fiction. This happened to real mm -hmm. people. Um, and so, anyway, we we both happen to think this is a great this is a great book. Um, so next week is this mock trial and jury selection that will launch our one book program. So for those of you who have never taken part in a one book program, it's a pretty great event. Um, this is part of the reason I'm so glad we moved to a small town. So one book, the goal is for, for our entire community to read Picking Cotton together. Um, and to lead up to this event, we're hosting a mock trial and jury selection on October 2nd. So by the time you listen to this, I think it might be the week of this jury selection mock trial demonstration. Um, and then there's a night of music and poetry. There's a lessons learned, this night of stories of forgiveness. Um, there's a criminal justice perspectives event where lots of um, criminal justice professors and professionals will come together and answer some questions. Um, there is a an innocence denied evening where Seth Miller, who is the executive director of the Innocence Project of Florida, will be talking to to guests and attendees about the Innocence Project and the work that they do. So all kinds of events leading up to our October 18th author event. So Jennifer and Ronald are going to be here in Thomasville. We are thrilled to host them. Um, but before any of that is this mock trial and jury selection. So Jordan and I happen to consider ourselves a little bit nerdy. A lot nerdy. <laughs> and we immediately volunteered for this event. So Jordan, kind of tell us what this event is and why you wanted to participate besides the fact that I kind of asked you to. Well, I was thrilled to do it when I realized what it was going to be. And then uh, I became even more than thrilled after I sat in on our first sort of dress rehearsal. Um, basically what this is, is uh, a jury striking or a jury selection. And and um, I don't know how many of you have ever been called for jury duty and, and have ever lasted long enough to where you actually get to see the jury striking, but it's, it's a fascinating process. Um, when I was in law school, one of the big law firms, uh, or medium-sized law firms, that I uh, interned for uh, took me to a jury striking in a rural uh, southern town uh, in Alabama, where I'm from, and I got to see two lawyers actually do this process in a civil case. Basically what happens is um, you have a pool of jurors, 
and you have a lawyer on one side and a lawyer on the other, and they go back and forth and ask each juror all sorts of questions. But what they're trying to do is they're trying to ask questions that seem sort of innocuous, but what they're trying to do is tease out biases and preferences and feelings of the different jurors. Which is something I really didn't realize. So um, Greg Rabideau is a professor, a visiting professor at Valdosta State University, and he's the one who's kind of facilitating uh, this jury selection, this mock trial. And he ran us through, like as Jordan said, a dress rehearsal a couple of weeks ago. And he began asking questions that, you're right, seemed so innocent, and then you realize what they're really digging for. And it was like sitting in a psychology class or something. I was completely mesmerized. Um, I am a big... I mean, I'm a big uh, reader, but I also happen to really enjoy crime shows. Um, I do not know why. I love Law & Order SVU. I love Criminal Minds. I, I don't know. I, I don't watch them in real time. I watch them on Netflix or on those USA marathons that are kind of addicting. But anyway, so I sat there completely enthralled. Um, and I also sat there feeling completely... Um, humiliated at my own jury selection experience. So a couple of years ago, I was, I got my jury summons in the mail. And as we have said, we're a little nerdy. I was ecstatic. Like I wanted to be on a jury. I think, I think that is such a neat part of our um, government system. And um, I just wanted to participate. I was so excited. So this was a few years ago when we were living in Tallahassee. And I showed up, made it through several rounds, enough to sit in the jury box and, and get questioned by, by an attorney. And at this time, I think you were either in law school or right out of law school. I think I was in law school. And it was a criminal case. Yeah, this right? was a criminal, criminal. case. Um, I do not remember the details at all <laughs> because all I can remember is getting in that courtroom and the excitement is building. I'm thrilled. This is as close to, <laughs> this is this is the only courtroom I've ever been in in my life. Um, I was joking with one of our committee members that entering a courtroom is a little bit like entering a church, mm. but a mm -hmm. church that you've kind of had a bad experience with. So, so not a lot of good things happen in courtrooms no, when you think about and, it. And I, and I, you know, Jordan and I can consider ourselves to be faithful people, faith filled people. And so, um, we attend church and I, and I, for the most part, enjoy church. But if you've ever attended a church and had a poor experience there, I feel like that's what walking into a courtroom is like. You feel a little bit out of place, uncertain of where you belong, where you fit in. So I remember walking into this courtroom. And there's a decorum and a procedure oh, yeah. that not everybody knows about. No, it's it, like, how is this going to happen? When am I supposed to stand up? When am I supposed to sit? Exactly. Uh, why do I feel like I'm on trial here? You know, right. all, and all I these don't things. like that. It right. immediately kind of puts you in a di in an uncomfortable position. Right. And I don't like that. I don't like not knowing what to do. I hate going to fancy restaurants and not knowing how to dress. I mean, Jordan knows this. Like, I I want to go in when we travel. I want to look like a local. I don't want to look like a tourist. And I I want a fanny pack and a camera <laughs> and a Mickey opposite. Mouse hat. I love drawing attention to myself. Right. So Jordan loves it. So. Anyway, I, you know, a couple years ago, I'm in this courtroom, I'm in the jury box, and I believe it was the defense attorney was asking questions, and she she reaches me, 
And she begins asking, you know, my name, what my occupation is. Uh, at the time, I'm not even sure what my occupation was. I've, I've changed occupations <laughs> many times, and I cannot remember what I was doing. Future bookstore owner. I guess so. So I, um, they, they got to asking about my husband, my spouse. And I said, uh, you know, he's in law school. And they said, well, what kind of attorney would he like to be? Um, and I'm pretty sure that's how they worded it. Like, they didn't ask what kind of law will he want to practice. Like, they asked about you. Like, what kind of attorney mm-hmm. you were going to be. And I'm sure they were looking for criminal lawyer, trial lawyer, a nonprofit lawyer. Any, mm-hmm. any answer would have sufficed. And I hate to share this story because it makes me sound like an absolute <laughs> bimbo. But I'm sitting there and I... I just say, well, he wants to be the good kind. He's the good kind of lawyer. (laughs) Which I don't even know what I meant by Mm -hmm. that. Um, But it's true. I wanted you to be a good kind of lawyer. And you are. But um, the the defense attorney, I am sure, looked at me with such confusion and disgust. Like, what do you mean a good kind of lawyer? And I didn't even know how to respond to the question. And I kind of bumbled all over myself. And needless to say, I was not selected (laughs) for the jury. Um, But... That brings me to sitting in this courtroom a couple of weeks ago, going through this dress rehearsal, and he's asking questions like, what television shows do you watch? Um, what do you do for fun? What does a Saturday look like to you? Questions that I would love to answer because I love Q&As. I love you know, magazine quizzes, give me an online quiz and I'm a happy girl. So I love this kind of stuff. But he, you're right, is slowly pulling out this information, these biases to figure out, do you belong on my side or are you going to be on somebody else's side? Um, And I found that fascinating. And I I guess I'm curious, you're an attorney, so Mm -hmm. this might have seemed like old news to you. What did you find interesting about this whole process? Well, I must say, I was completely mesmerized the whole time. This guy is an incredible, I mean, I know he's a teacher by trade, (laughs) but he's an incredible teacher. And um, if you come to this event, you will be mesmerized. I, I guarantee you, you will learn something. Um, but just the way that he uh, presented everything, the way that he talked about how a lawyer might ask innocuous questions, I'll, I'll just give a little teaser for what's to come. I don't want to give too much away, but I remember one of the questions he asked was, okay, what does this, you know, sir, uh, juror number three, what does a Saturday afternoon look like to you? And the juror said, well, you know, I might spend some time in my yard. Um, and, and then he turned to us and said, you know, the reason I asked that question is I'm trying to figure out if you're going to be watching college football on a Saturday. And I'm, I'm thinking, okay, that's interesting. Uh, you know, what, what does college football have to do with what kind of juror I'll make? But then he went on to explain that uh, there's a difference between the type of person who watches college football versus NFL, the type of person who does this on a Saturday versus that, the type of person who refers to his wife in one way or another. And those attorneys know that, and they're looking for a very specific type. And if, and if, the, if the juror is not the right type, the attorney will strike the juror because each attorney has a certain number of strikes, a certain number of X's, uh, if you will, that they can put on a juror. And so basically when you get the jury whittled down, it's a bunch of people that no one knows anything about because, or, or a bunch of people kind of in the middle, not on either extreme. Uh, it's just an, an interesting, interesting process. Yeah, that, to me that's so 
That's so interesting and also a little scary. It, it uh, is. I remember the jury striking that I went to. It was a um, back when I was in law school. It, it was a civil case um, where no one's going to be going to prison, but there could be money damages awarded. And I remember that everyone who stood up and gave an opinion in the jury striking was stricken. <laughs> and the I'd be gone fast. She, you'd be gone. You'd be <laughs> out of there. You'd be out of there. I'd be out of there. Um, and so the six or, or however many jurors, I can't remember how how many uh, there were left in Alabama, but the six or so uh, jurors ended up being these people who had not said a word the whole time. And you didn't know if they were conservative or liberal or, or were going to be prone to giving the money damages or prone to giving a verdict for the defendant. It was just so very interesting to realize it is in these people's hands that our justice system rests for this case. You know, that reminds me, and I'll try to put it in the show notes actually. A couple of weeks ago I read a New York Times article and they had this really neat interactive well, online quiz, which I do happen to enjoy. But it gave you this article, and then it said, it's talking about a new way that um, lawyers are selecting juries, and or jurors for their juries. And it wanted to see if you would have made the cut. Mm. And so it was this quiz, this interactive questionnaire, and based on your answers, it decided whether or not you would have been a juror. I'm going to try to find it and put it in the show notes, because I think it's really... I want to take that. Yeah, I think it's really fascinating. Um... So the premise of picking cotton, or not even the premise, the actuality, the reality of picking cotton is that Ronald Cotton wound up spending 11 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Um, I, prior to working at the bookshelf, I worked at the Florida Bar as a legal writer um, and editor, and one of the very first assignments I kind of shadowed another uh, writer on was this Senate hearing to determine how many, how much money, how, how much damages, I'm not sure the proper <laughs> term, but how much money this exoneree, someone who had been in prison for, I believe it was 25 years, it was something um, tragic. He had spent 25 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. And I went to attend his Senate hearing to determine how much money he was going to be given to kind of make up for that. And I was forever changed really by that experience I not only was fascinated I was heartbroken I, I didn't know that our justice system can sometimes fail right and I know it fails far less than other justice systems across the world but it was still a heartbreaking story and you think when it fails once you know if it fails and someone goes to prison for 10 years or 20 years or 25 years I mean imagine that happening to you. It's it's such a tremendous irreversible mistake. And I remember and he was so I will never forget he was so tearful um on the stand because he was back on the stand having to I mean he was already proven innocent, but he was having to almost prove his worth, like how much his life was worth. Right. How much these twenty five years of life were worth. I mean it I can't even put into words how how odd that was to watch. But um little things like you know, his, I think his mother had been sick while he was in prison or he came out of prison and didn't know what a cell phone was. You know, little things that those of us who have been living in the mm -hmm. world uh, find completely normal, he found almost unbearable. He didn't know how to use any of it. Um, you know, and The then, world had changed. Right, and then try to find jobs, try to find work. I mean, I can't even imagine. And so my question to you as an attorney, as somebody who studied law, and, and I know 
from my own research and my own readings what I think the answer is um, or the answers are, but how do you think wrongful convictions happen in this country? Well, you know, I think there are many ways that they happen. I think um, I think it's important with this whole um, one book program here in Thomasville and, and the fact that we've chosen picking cotton, I think it's important to remember something, um, to go back to the beginning of our country's uh, founding. Um, it, it's my understanding that our founding fathers wanted to create the country and, and the justice system uh, in the country based on the premise that, okay, it's okay if 10 guilty persons go free, uh, but we don't ever want one innocent person to be imprisoned if we can help it. And so they designed the system to be slanted in favor of the criminal defendant. And, you know, sometimes that makes us bow up and we think, oh, we're, we, you know, we want to be tough on crime and we want justice. And, and that's fine. We should want justice. But when we come to the courtroom and we realize we have an imperfect system where sometimes we have misidentifications, where we know things can go wrong, believe me, we want a system, you want a system uh, that is completely slanted as much as possible uh, on the front end in favor of the criminal defendant so that no innocent person goes to prison. We all want that. Um, and, and that's why there are certain protections in criminal law, like the fact that the prosecutor has to prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt. You know, that's, mm-hmm. I've read in cases before that's, you know, 95% chance or 96, 97% chance that this person did the crime. You know, not more likely than not, or, well, yeah, I think he did. Yeah, he, you know, he looks guilty to me. You know, nothing like that. We know he did the crime. We, beyond a reasonable doubt, we know that. And it's important whether you're, you consider yourself a conservative or a liberal or a libertarian or a Tea Party, whatever <laughs> you consider yourself, um, this is one of the most um, ancient traditions in our country, that we want protections uh, for those who go on trial. And I think the scariest thing about this case um, is that, that this guy is accused of doing something that he did not do. Um, and, and the case of the gentleman that you saw um, in Florida, he had been convicted of something that he didn't do. That can happen through um, eyewitnesses actually remembering what they have seen, which, right, which, uh, is that, which I think we're going to go into more. Right, which is what happened in this case, um, Jennifer. And if you read the book, Jennifer says, you know, while she was being assaulted, she really tried so hard to think to herself, okay, what do you look like? I want to be able to report you. And despite her, her efforts, she identified the wrong guy. Um, so yeah, eyewitness misidentification happens a lot, I think, or at least a lot in these wrongful conviction Mm -hmm. cases. Um, another one that comes up a lot are jailhouse snitches. Right. Uh, I remember that was a big Explain what a jailhouse snitch is. Yeah, well, for those of us who don't watch Law and Order as much (laughs) as Right, oh, there you go. Um, um, So a jailhouse snitch uh, is somebody who's already in prison. So they've really got nothing to lose. But they might get to get a bit of a deal if um, if they can produce evidence or testimony um, that can put another person in prison. Right. so anyway, it's just interesting to see kind of what makes up wrongful convictions. And 
Um, actually, Seth Miller from the Innocence Project, I think will go into that on his mm-hmm. October 17th event. So if you are a local, um, if you're in Thomasville or you're in Tallahassee, Valdosta, Albany, Cairo, Bainbridge, we want you all to come. There are so many great events. Um, this mock trial, October 2nd, is one of them. Um, and then October 17th, Seth Miller will be here. And then October 8th, Jennifer and Ronald will be here on the on the 18th. That's right. Um, so anyway, Jordan, it has been so fun to have you on here. I know I want to have you on again. We want to talk about personality types and all that mm. kind of fun stuff. Jordan loves that kind of stuff. But um, Salivating. Yes, but thrilled to have you. Um, we will be back in just a few seconds with Katie from The Bookshelf. Uh, as we will talk about um, one book selections and what might make a great book for a one book read in your community. So thanks, Jordan. Talk to you pretty soon because I love with you. All right, sounds good. <laughs> hey, Katie. Hey. Okay, so I thought we could talk about what makes a good one book selection and then maybe go through the books that we would pick. If, okay. Um, since we both kind of sat in on these committee meetings and things like that, I thought we could brainstorm together. That sounds good. And Maybe, have you already talked about the history of one book and what the purpose and mission of one book so is? So we talked about, I talked about it a little bit with Jordan when I recorded with him, um, that one book, the goal is to get the whole community reading the same work of literature. And so trying to reach maybe reluctant readers, trying to reach a different kind of reader, um, which makes a one book selection actually kind of tricky. I think. Mm -hmm. So I didn't talk necessarily about the history of one book nationwide. I talked more about it in terms of Thomasville itself. Okay. Well, just to give you a little history in Thomasville, this is actually my way of indoctrinating the city (laughs) because we did it in Philadelphia and loved the program up there. And so when we moved here, I thought this would be a really fun program. Nancy at the library had also had experience with one book programs. So I talked to her and said, hey, can we do this program and of course Nancy's a yes person which I love mm-hmm. um, but when we talk about books that we think are good one books you'll go back and see I really think a lot of it is books that I want the town to, to read mm-hmm. to change their ideas or to not even change their ideas to make them think about right to introduce the ideas to, even. to introduce ideas um, so Anyway, so what books would be on your list? Well, I have a good bit, but um, some of the books that I chose, I would have chosen just for the author. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for instance, Wendell Berry, I think he would be oh, a great yeah. person to come. This is one I've been pushing for for the last couple of years um, because I think we are in such a rich ecology. Um, several of the books, I think, tie back to our local ecology mm-hmm. um, and just because I like Wendell Berry's writings about small towns and nature um, so I think philosophically he would be any of his books would be interesting the Port Williams books about living in a small town and mm-hmm. the small town dynamics mm-hmm. are kind of fun um, but then I also think it might be interesting to do poetry sometime because who knows how to read poetry and right um, that would be a fun discussion to have with the whole city that would be. I wonder, so sitting in on these committee meetings, one of the books that came up when we were choosing Picking Cotton was um, Freakonomics, which uh-huh. I know you loved. And a lot of people sitting at the table had loved it. I will admit that I didn't read that. I think that was pre 
I think I would have had to be pretty young to read read Freakonomics. Um, So I haven't read it, but I flipped through it before we, like, did our vote around the table. And I thought, I find this book interesting, but I think only a small population of this town would find this book interesting. And I wonder, in one book selections, who you're supposed to be keeping in mind. Do you know what I mean? I do. And, yeah, maybe that needs to rotate, but... I would definitely put Freakonomics in that stuff white people like right Right, I guess that's what I mean. And, like this really, I don't know, elitist. Or, uh-huh. uh, but although it's accessible. I feel yeah. like it was a pretty accessible book just based on my um, my flipping through the pages. But I do like Wendell Berry, and I think that would be, because it kind of has these southern elements mm-hmm. too that I think would really appeal to people. Um, what else you got? So Wendell Berry was on the top of my list. Um Ecology of a Cracker Childhood by Janice Ray. I think I a lot of people were you. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people have already read her here. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's just the people who are already followers of exactly. her, um, and maybe not the town as a whole. Yeah, um, I like her, and I think she'd be fun to have. And I think you could have some really great lectures and events about the book. Yeah, yeah, a book by her. Um, and similar to her, except maybe a little bit bigger a name is Ron Rash. Oh, yeah. Specifically Serena. And again, he touches on some of the elements of what it is to be a Southerner, but might have a little bit more of a plot um, and may appeal to a broader audience and especially the male audience, which I think can be kind of hard to capture. They're tricky. And Mm -hmm. Serena's about to be a movie, I think, too. Oh, good. Yeah, with uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, so that could be a little bit. Yeah, so that could be a fun tie in. We're thinking about doing a fiction and then a nonfiction. So this year was a nonfiction, so next year going back to fiction. Okay. Um, which I That's think could a be a good neat. idea. Yeah. That's a really good idea. So yeah, what's on the top of your list? Well, so when I go back and when I look at other towns who do one book, so one book uh, events are thrown all over the country. And a lot of people choose classics, mm-hmm. um, which I do like. Um, because I think you could tie in then your student population, you could tie in your high schoolers and have it incorporated into the curriculum kind of thing. Um, those wouldn't be maybe my first choice, but I understand why towns would choose a classic. So I listed a couple of classics, but the first one that came to mind is actually a middle reader. And I know grownups everywhere are rolling their eyes. Um, but Wonder, Mm -hmm. the new middle reader book that came out a couple years ago, um, so many kids in town have read that book. And so many of their parents have read it. And I actually had, just in the past two weeks, two different teachers, one from Tallahassee and one from Thomasville, come in separately and talk about that book and rave about it. And I thought, oh, you know, I know we all roll our eyes at young adult and middle reader literature, but that really would get the whole town reading because the kids would be reading it and their parents would be reading it and you could do children's events and Mm -hmm. adult events that had to do with the themes of that book. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense because Thomasville really is, above all, a family town. Really it is, yeah. And, um, you know, I think one of the original mission parts of one book was to uh, foster discussion. Mm -hmm. And discussion at the dinner table is hugely important. I mean, how often is it that um, parents and their children are reading the same book and both enjoying it? Right. I mean, since Harry Potter, that just hasn't happened that much. Right. So, yeah, I think that could be really cool. So, I think that could be really fun. So, that was my number number one choice. Um, If I'm thinking along your lines, I really think the whole town should read In Praise of Slowness. Oh, yeah. Um, That's a great one. I love that book. Again, I'm not sure... 
who all would be willing to read that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love the concept behind that book. I feel like there could be so many good discussions about the principles found in that book. Um, and again, that's nonfiction, but I really, I really enjoyed that one. But you know, and I almost, I think we may have talked about this before, maybe even on the podcast. I almost want to give that book to some of our city leadership and yeah. talk about marketing. And I think I've maybe even mentioned this to a city leader about marketing Thomasville as a slow city, but then I guess that opens up a whole slew of jokes about Thomasville being <laughs> slow. But that's a thing in Italy where yeah, that it they is. talk about in the book where these towns are embracing their slowness. And they're identified as slow cities. I totally think Thomasville should should be a slow city. Um, and I'm okay with thinking slower than the rest of the world, I think. Yes, please. In fact, I was talking to somebody the other day about um, reading slowly. Uh-huh. Uh, one of our customers was talking about how at first she thought it was a disadvantage to read slowly, but maybe she is actually internalizing the book and comprehending it better than a fast uh-huh. reader. And I and I say that as a I'm a fast reader generally. Well, I'm a slow reader and I don't remember books, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I have I don't the worst category. That would be. But along the lines of the city city relevant books about how to live in a city, or um, the other one that hasn't come out yet, but I'm just every oh, yeah, day calling me. I'm so antsy. <laughs> Happy City, Transforming Our Lives Through Urban Design. Um, sounds like such a fun book that I think <laughs> could be relevant to our, our town. That does. So I like I like reading a book that would relate to Thomasville and make Thomasville better. Yeah. Um, and then I there are a couple... So I've got two nonfiction books that I just really enjoyed, and they would be... They're more memoirs, so more in line with Picking Cotton, but totally different subject matter. Um, in the Sanctuary of Outcasts. Oh, yes, that? I did. Gosh, I loved that book. Uh-huh. Um, and I think, again, that could be really interesting discussion. It might be too similar to Picking Cotton. I'm not sure. Um, he spends some time in a prison that um, is attached to a leper colony. Yep. Uh, fascinating. Um, I personally adored Quiet by Susan Cain. Mm-hmm. Um, and introversion and extroversion is all, I feel like, all the rage online right now. I feel like I'm reading lots of articles huh. um, yeah. and blog posts and things like that that have to do with those things. Um, it's a little science-y, but, so again, I'm not sure. You want mm-hmm. a book that your whole community can read together, so I don't know. Um and then the, my fiction books are the Mitford series, which they're old oldies but goodies. Yeah. And I feel like you might hit a different population that hasn't read them yet. Um, Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. <laughs> I love that book. Ooh. Um, you do not. Well, that was a really pretty book, I guess. It was yeah. a little slow for me. I, oh, gosh. I loved it. Um, and I, I think her other uh, – she's coming out with a new one in October, so it'll be interesting to see. Because um, she's built on these other minor characters okay. with each book. Um, but I loved that book. And One of the things about that book that I think would be interesting is the religious undertones. I think that's what I was thinking. Like, oh, this could make such good discussion, too. Uh-huh. Um, Which is funny because in committees and the way these one books are chosen, it's often hard because I know this happened last year when we ended up choosing Mitch Album, which wouldn't have been my first choice. But... Um, you try to cater to everybody's interests and you try to be safe with it and then mm-hmm. you lose everything. And so a lot yeah. of the people, or not a lot, but a couple of the people on the committee were very adamant about saying, we got to stay away from religion. You got to stay away from politics. And that's Which what makes all the literature so <laughs> All your fun. discussion questions. Yeah. And I... You know, what's so fascinating so far about Picking Cotton, which we haven't um, done any of the events yet, we haven't seen turnout, but we've already sold more books this time this year than we did this time last year. Oh, great. Um, And that could be um, because just if you're ever interested in planning your own one book uh, event, these are paperbacks and Mm -hmm. they go faster, they sell faster. Um, 
but already people are coming in the store and discussing it. Mm -hmm. And as much as I loved Mitch album when he came to town, I thought he was fantastic. Um, Timekeeper didn't generate conversations the way the way this is already. And I also dropped my notebook. And then I I I don't know. I know a couple of people have come in saying, oh, picking cotton, it's kind of heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm encouraging them to power through because that's the whole point. I mean, right. we need to be talking about these things. And even if the first couple of chapters make you uncomfortable, mm-hmm. you could you could even skip those and move on to something else. But um, anyway, and I guess another one that I know a lot of the town has read already, but I think it would... Um, bring about really great discussion is Defending Jacob. Did you read that one? I didn't read it, but you know, I think a lot of the bookstore customers have read it. I don't think other people have. Right. Um, Well, I hadn't read it till this year uh um, and it came out a few years ago, Um, but I picked it up at an airport because I remembered vaguely that a couple of customers had said, oh, you needed to read that book. And uh, it was a really great page turner. And um, Jordan and I were talking when we uh, recorded our part of the podcast that legal thrillers seem to be a genre that appeals to all kinds of people. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Um, Uh And Picking Cotton, Jordan said, had a little something for everybody. And I think that's what you've got to kind of look for in the one book. Oh, good. Well, I do think Picking Cotton was a great choice and... um, a lot of great events look like they're lined up. So, Annie, do you want to tell people a little bit about how to find out more? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, all of our events start on October 2nd, and then there's a week of events from October 13th through 18th. You can find out more about those at um, our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash one book Thomas County. You can also find it through the bookshelf um, website, bookshelfthomasville.com. And then tickets for the author event are going to be sold online. Um, at the Thomasville Center for the Arts website, which I'm blanking on at the moment, but I will happily put it on in the show notes. Okay, thomasvillearts.org, maybe. I think that's right. Okay. We'll put it in the show notes, and I'll link all those um, for you as well. But um, thanks for coming in. All right, looking forward to joining the conversation. Mm-hmm.